fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try to Wolfpack, what is going on? Week one is in the books, and I am here to recap all the risers, fallers, injuries, and the waiver wire guys you need to know after a crazy week one. And week one is always insane. We have all our rankings. We do months and months of preparation and research only to have so many of them just thrown out the window because we were dead wrong on some, and then many others confirmed, and we know it. Uh, But that's why we are here. I have a huge season-long big board going right now that I've been updating all off-season. I just realized it's Monday Night Football as we speak. It's always going to be at 7 p.m., and I probably should have timed it better because I'm sure a lot of you guys are watching that. Uh, If not, you might be listening to this on the podcast. You can make sure to catch this every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook. Facebook Live, where I, again, recap all your risers, fallers, injuries, penny stocks, and answer any questions you guys have live going into your Monday night matchups. Uh, We're going to get right to it because I know, again, the game's about to start, and I know a bunch of you guys are going to want to watch that, and we're going to start with the risers, and who was better as a riser than the Ravens offense? I do want to preface this all that they were facing the pathetic, hapless, awful Oh, Miami Dolphins, who have just completely tanked, but still, they need to be recognized for what happened there, especially starting at the top of quarterback, which is Lamar Jackson. 2019's fantasy cheat code, is he this year's Mahomes? He certainly looked like it on Monday night. Lamar Jackson goes 17 of 20 for 324 yards and five touchdowns in the air. When the hell did this guy get an arm? I have no idea. Unbelievable. Was just spraying dimes all over the field. I would love to see it happen next week against a better defense. We'll find out. He's facing the Cardinals, so another plum matchup for this guy to go off. Only six yards rushing, and this guy still put up 33 fantasy points. Imagine the days this guy could have if he's throwing for 300 yards, three TDs, and also goes for 100 yards rushing. That's what his upside was, was the fact that he could run for 1,000 yards and 10 TDs on the ground. But the fact that he could also now throw for 4,000 and like 25 TDs on top of that is absolutely insane. So Lamar Jackson shot up my QB rankings up to number six overall for the rest of the season. He does truly look like that cheat code. And I I apologize because I was not that high on him. Hopefully you listen to guys like Scott Barrett, who we had on our podcast and and rivaled me and went against me, Pete Davidson, uh, after I was saying Lamar Jackson just didn't have that upside because he didn't have the passing game. It was such a run-heavy offense offense. Greg Roman comes out and that scheme just had people wide open. We'll find out. Was it a lack of defensive respect and attention? Is that going to change? Uh, but then then he's going to destroy you on the ground. So I really think this is going to be a tough to defend offense 
with Lamar Jackson wheeling and dealing like he did. I do want to see him get it done in a better uh, in a better matchup, though. We'll find out for that. Right behind him was Mark Ingram. Only 14 carries, actually out-carried by Gus Edwards and almost equal carries there with Justice Hill. Uh, but that's also a huge part of the design when you blow a team out. I think it was, what, 59-10 to 10 at the end of the game. So why waste Ingram in the second half? Why risk injury there for Mark Ingram? He goes 14 carries, 170, uh, 107 yards, and two scores. And those two scores are what I really want to highlight here with Mark Ingram in this offense because he got the goal-to-goal carries. You got to be a little nervous. The humongous Gus, the bus Edwards might steal those work, but no, Ingram comes in. He pounds it in right from there, converts both of them, and then just is churning chunk after chunk play. Uh, They're talking about this being a hot hand situation, and Ingram looks like the perfect fit, as we predicted in Greg Roman's crazy, complex, run-heavy scheme. You need a versatile runner that can do the zone, that can do the power, that can read traps and pulls, and Ingram showed perfection on this night. So you got to feel great about him as a very high-end RB2, potential low-end RB1 in this run-centric attack, especially with Lamar Jackson wheeling and dealing when this offense is going to be on the field a lot longer and more scoring chances than we ever thought possible. Ingram, a huge winner. And then a couple passing game weapons we got to highlight here, the first being Mark Andrews, the engine of this pass attack. Eight catches, 108 yards, and a TD, the clear-cut preferred option at tight end and also just in terms of wide receiver weaponry. And we said in Greg Roman's scheme, the tight ends have historically been the most featured targets. And that was definitely the case here with Andrews. Definitely a little concern going into the year that is he going to be a full-time player? What's Hayden Hurst role? Nick Boyles, the blocking guy, is he going to steal some snaps? But those were all vanished with Mark Andrews just absolutely feasting here on uh, on that Sunday game. 108 yards and a TD was all you needed to see. Yes, he'll have some disappearance acts when it's not against the Dolphins and Lamar Jackson isn't thrown for 340 yards. It's not going to be a regular occurrence in this run-heavy attack, but still, it was great to see this guy looking like a fantastic sleeper tight end that's going to pan out this season right up into my top eight tight ends for the rest of the year. Don't forget, Vernon Davis had a 14-touchdown season under Greg Roman and plenty of high yardage outputs too, and Andrews could be his next tight end monster, so keep that in mind. And last but not least, and the guy we'll highlight a little bit more later, is Marquise Brown catches four or five targets. The yardage, though, is what's insane. 147 yards and two scores. His first two catches going for monstrous, yard, uh, huge bombs. Now, he only played for 15 uh, fifteen snaps, which seems a little concerning. But again, they got up so huge and became so just pound the rock. Why leave your Pop Warner little guy, 160 pounds, Marquise Brown in there to block? That's not what he's in there for. He's in there to stretch the field. And he was getting separation as if it was college. Again, a horrendous secondary. Let's see him get it done against better corners, but for example, next week, he's going to face the the pathetic Arizona defense. He's only 30% owned right now. Probably a good chance he's in at least some of your leagues out there. Take a look for Marquise Brown. If you have any questions on him, be sure to ask him. I'm happy to answer anything on Marquise Brown, but a humongous output for him, and you got to feel pretty encouraged at the speed you saw, at the separation you saw. Those were his trademarks in college, and they were both on full display last night. Uh, And now we're going to move on to Sammy Watkins. Holy hell, this guy was a monster 
uh, this week. 9 of 11 targets for 198 yards and 3 touchdowns. Yep, count them, 3 touchdowns over the Jaguars. Whatever happened to that vaunted defense of the Jacksonville Jags, Pat Mahomes happened to him, and he absolutely split them down the streams, splanked their cheeks the entire night. It was a ridiculous effort, and Sammy Watkins was the engine. The least amount of points to fantasy receivers last year. I wasn't high on this guy going into the week, and he blew me away. And just to preface all this too, I'm kind of picking out for these first five guys who exceeded my expectations, guys I might have been lower on and who I learned a lot about this week. We'll go through some confirmed calls, as you see on the menu there, guys that I was high on and then they kind of proved why I was high on them. Uh, but ultimately, these first five are going to be guys that I might not have been quite as high on and that we really learned a lot about this week. And I'm changing my tune on. And Sammy Watkins might be the biggest pure riser on my big board. Again, 198 yards, three TDs. And the biggest news there is because Tyreek Hill was absent. Sure, he was in for some of those scores uh, where Watkins just blew through the defense. All reports out of camp this week, uh, this offseason was Watkins was emerging as a true number one, looking as good as he's ever looked. Uh, and and clearly, he was as explosive as we've ever seen again uh, with that monster performance. But now with Hill week to week with a, a shoulder issue, a clavicle issue, Watkins is going to be that number one passing attack yet again. This time he gets the Raiders, if the Jaguars and and, uh, you know, their elite corners, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bowie, could not stop him. How the hell are the Raiders going to stop Sammy Watkins? Uh, so, you know, ultimately I was low on this guy going into the season. Thought he was at best the fourth on the target totem pole. But if Hill's knocked out, he is the true lid lifter. He's the true number one alpha target. And we saw that this week. He was the apple of Mahomes' eyes. And he did nothing but justify that. So, Sammy Watkins, an absolute force. And lots of yak, too. It wasn't just deep bomb after deep bomb. Uh, and, and there were plenty of deep bombs, 68-yard, 49-yard scores. But he was ripping off screens. He was ripping off short intermediate games, looking like that complete alpha target hog they probably tried to sign him for with that massive contract they gave him, the guy we used to see with the Bills back in the day. Sammy Watkins, just an unbelievable performance, and you've got to feel incredible about rolling him out against the Raiders. And just any week that Tyree kills out, plus there's the upside. This guy could truly separate himself from the rest of the pack. Maybe he gets the firm number one role with Tyree kill out and why would they if it's not broke don't fix it if him and Mahomes are clicking like this all year he's going to be a top 10 guy so humongous upside and a humongous riser on my season-long big board Sammy Watkins next and certainly not least is the Cowboys passing game we've talked a lot about Kellen Moore this offseason we had RJ Ochoa friend of the pod on previewing you know how he's going to use tons of pre-snap motions and pace and all these different looks so much a departure from that vanilla offense we've seen under Scott Linehan and it was everything and more you could have ever expected receivers were running wide open during these disguised looks defenses clearly uh, the Giants not the best defense in the world we totally understand that but they had no idea what was going on. Wide receivers were running just rampantly free, just humongous field of grass just between them and defenders. Nobody knew where anyone was, and I don't see why that won't continue, but these play designs were unbelievable under Kellen Moore. You know, all the hype about the air raid and all the hype about all these other new coaches coming in. It was really the Kellen Moore show that looks like he's going to be the most impactful 
uh, coaching addition of this offseason. We've written a ton about how that's going to improve Dak. You know, the quarterback's coach of last year, they had that rapport, that chemistry. Dak loved the move and said this offense is clicking at new levels under him, and it was a whole different beast. Prescott going 25 of 32, ridiculous accuracy percentages, for 405 yards and four touchdowns and no interceptions. Unbelievable performance from Dak. I know they were easing Zeke in. He's going to be more of a focal point moving forward and take some of that volume away from Dak, but a perfect 158.3 passer rating gives you confidence in what him and Kellen Moore are brewing up. You know Dak's playing for that huge payday and looks like he totally deserves it after a game like this. The best game of his career, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it came under Kellen Moore, this guy that he has that great familiarity with, the guy that's much more creative with his weapons. And in the process, all ships rise under Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott's chemistry and ascension. That means Amari Cooper looks fantastic. 106 yards and a TD on nine targets, six catches. Looks fantastic. Didn't look like the foot was too big of an issue. 100% looked fully healthy this week. Even better though, an even bigger breakout performance in my opinion, Michael Gallup. 7 of 7, 158 yards, leads the team in receiving uh, and was just... I mean, perfect efficiency right there. Perfect engine over the intermediate game, making plays over defenders. Uh, the just chemistry there with Dak was so on point. The timing, the routes, everything looked beautiful with Gallup. Uh, he could be that leading receiver this year. Cooper was the number one guy in terms of target share, but Gallup the biggest yard gainer, and again, just so reliable yesterday. Uh, and then also Randall Cobb, maybe sneaking into your waiver wire consideration. Four or five targets, 69 yards, and a TD. This offense is going to, again, hum like they did with wide receivers just ripping it up like they did. You got to feel great. Denny Jennings asking, Dak or Rivers rest a season? I 100% go Dak there. I mean, Rivers has that nice, sturdy floor, great QB2, uh, especially if you have riskier guys like Winston as your number one. Holy hell, what a bag of fucking dirt he is, by the way. Uh, and, but, you know, Philip Rivers is my ideal QB2, but ultimately not a guy that has tons of upside, just a great, sturdy floor. Whereas Dak, I mean, he, just alongside Lamar Jackson, might be that cheat code of this year. So, Denny, I go Dak, definitely. The chemistry we saw, the the play calling, unbelievable, the setup that he has right now. And that line, just, he had all that. He didn't have to move. He just, perfect, perfect protection. Loved everything about it. And Ben Lawler commenting in about our next guy on the menu here. That's Austin Eckler. And he says he put up three TDs up his backside. I'm sure you're still shitting pancakes after that one, Ben. That was a brutal performance to have to absorb. 12 carries for 58 yards and a TD on the ground. But he even more importantly was the receiving involvement. 96 yards and two touchdowns on six catches. And it was the dominant of place in terms of usage. We say him out-touched Justin Jackson 18-7. Very consistent with last year. Whenever Melvin Gordon missed it and Eckler was healthy, he ripped it up for 18, 17, 19 touches. Didn't do nearly the damage he did in this contest on those touches. He looked like a complete different beast this year, but it's clear that this guy, Austin Eckler, is going to be the focal point of the Melvin Gordon holdout era. Definitely the one that has that James Conner style upside. And before the pregames, Adam Schefter saying they expect maybe six to eight week return. It has to get back there by week 10. That's kind of when I expect him at this point. So you're going to get a healthy smattering of Austin Eckler for these next six to eight weeks. You have to, if you did not already, lock him into the facts. I see Blazo 
saying Eckler was a stud. Thank you. Happy. I, I hope that's not sarcastic, and I actually recommended him for you uh, because he absolutely lit it up. I think I said him over Duke Johnson for a few people, and I, I hope that panned out for you guys because um, Austin Eckler was an absolute monster. Jackson looked pretty good in his own right, but still, this is the Eckler show. That snap and uh, usage total, definitely highly telling here. you got to love Austin Eckler's value moving forward. Uh, shoots up into my high-end RB2s. Just that one cautionary thing is you know Melvin Gordon's going to come back right around eight, week eight, week ten, and right when you get used to Austin Eckler dominating, you're going to have to deal with Melvin Gordon coming back for your playoff stretch run. So be a little cautious of over, uh, you know, reacting to this and selling your farm to get Eckler. But if you have him, ride that wave for the next six weeks. He's going to be a cheat code for you. Moving on now, another potential cheat code. Holy hell, Evan Ingram, what a monstrous day for this guy. I'd call him the next great fantasy tight end in my headline as a target hog. When you think about tight end breakouts, it's all about getting that volume, being a focal point of your offense. That's what led Kittle to be a breakout. That's why Zach Ertz has been such a monster these last few years. We know Kelsey, the the engine of that passing game too. And now Evan Ingram was the clear-cut, no-brainer offensive engine. We saw reports uh, from ESPN, Jason Rayson, before the game saying this guy is going to be the focal point they you know they're expecting humongous things from him I don't know if anyone could have expected such a monster performance though 14 targets 11 catches for 116 yards and a score my good god that guy was a monster and many guys got him in round five six he is easily the best bet for a breakout tight end the rest of the way and it's clear cut that volume we knew the athleticism was there faster 40 than Odell Beckham a humongous size just a big bodied wide receiver but the way they were moving him all over the place, using him on such a varied route tree. It was everything we hoped to see when we were talking about him being the number one breakout tight end of the year. He confirmed it all. This guy is a monster and should be treated, I'd say, above O.J. Howard rest of the season. Really, maybe above even Ertz and Kittle with these type of performances. He's right up there in that tier, at least. Uh, It's clear cut. He's got the athleticism to match anybody in the NFL. And now if he's going to be used in this type of high volume role with Sterling Shepard knocked out now too, there's no reason to expect anything less but continued dominance from Evan Ingram. Just be wary of that injury history, but holy shit, this guy was an absolute monster. And then real quick, just to rifle through a couple confirmed calls, not to toot our own horn or anything. Those are some lessons we learned. I was high on Eckler. I was high on Ingram above the ECR, but not nearly high enough based on yesterday's performances. But there were some other guys that we were very high on and yesterday kind of confirmed those things. So I want to run through a few of those real quick to make sure you're aware of them. Deshaun Jackson, the first of them. Yes, I was high on him, but I didn't expect this type of performance. My good God, eight catches on 10 targets, 154 yards and two TDs. We wrote more multiple times this summer about how Wentz and him had been brewing special chemistry. Every report was that this guy was just dominating in every training camp. We speculated that he might be able to take that number one receiver role, and he firmly locked that in with that dominant 32-27 to win. He was the focal point of this offense, catching two bomb TDs, but even more importantly, involved very much so in the intermediate games and short yards after the catch opportunities and looking just as fast as ever. This guy can still burn. He's still an absolute 
absolute freak. And Deshaun Jackson, I guess a revenge game in a way. Nobody gets more motivated for those type of games than Jackson, and he lit it up. Derrick Henry, the monster that we were hoping for, that we've called for. We said he's going to get highly used right from the start, and when this guy gets usage, he's always been a beast. And we see that 19 carries, 84 yards, and a TD, and sneaky receiving game involvement, a 75-yard TD uh, screen catch, two targets. So 21 total looks. That's exactly what you want from Derrick Henry. And this was against a Cleveland defense that was supposed to take a huge step forward. He was so well involved, so heavily involved, uh, and looked like a true RB1 in the process. We were about 30, 25, 30 spots higher than his ECR coming into the year, and he's confirming exactly why. Hopefully you took that plunge on him in your, your early third round, even late third round for a lot of people, because he's going to be a beast all year. This offense looked so much better under Arthur Smith. Three touchdowns for Marcus Mariota, who looks reborn. A guy I hated, uh, but now uh, the offensive line looked beastly. The holes were gaping for Henry. He's going to be an RB1 all year, so that's confirmed at this point. Also, Chris Carson, we talked about since you know May, how good of a value this guy is going to be. And his ADP definitely went up a little bit, but still was right around round four. And we were buying him all offseason. And he actually touched the ball more than Russell Wilson uh, in terms of attempts. 15 carries, 46 yards, and one TD. Not the best per clip, but still clearly the, the focal point. And then also, more importantly, that high receiving game uh, upside that was hinted at all offseason. Seven targets for Chris Carson. Catches six of them for 35 yards and another score. That multifaceted role, a true three-down workhorse uh, in, in this Seahawks offense. The run heaviest scheme in the game last year. He's going to be the number one unquestioned guy. Mike Davis has been removed and those targets have all funneled straight to Chris Carson. Rashad Penny, six touches on the day. Just a complete afterthought as compared to the 21 touches for Chris Carson. So you got to feel fantastic. And also in a major breakup performance, Dalvin Cook. Not I guess in a breakout performance, but just in terms of showing us how perfect of a fit he is for this zone blocking scheme. 21 carries, 111 yards, and two scores and just looked better than he's ever looked in his NFL career. Faster than ever, a scheme that fits everything about him, the vision, the patience, and then the acceleration once he finds it. That's what it was truly stood away. Was You see the whole developing, like, all right, Cook sees it, he's going, and suddenly it was a cannonball. He just shot right out through the gaps, zipped through defenses, knife through him like a, butt, a hot knife through butter, the way this guy looked. Loved everything about Dalvin Cook's performance. I ranked him in my top five overall for the rest of the season at this point and I am absolutely kicking myself in the ass and the nuts everywhere all over the place because I took Joe Mixon it was four weeks ago granted but I took Joe Mixon over Dalvin Cook and it makes me want to slam my head into this table on this live broadcast won't do that because I've got a few more players to cover uh, but Dalvin Cook a top five rest of season not just running back top five overall player if you were drafting today unbelievable <laughs> duck commenting Mariota I know shockingly good from Mariota this week I don't expect that to continue uh, he's so bad overall but this looked like a better Mariota than we've ever seen so I'm interested duck comment your thoughts you think this is going to last all year uh it, your boy Corey Davis didn't look so hot what a fucking loser he is another quick guy to cover too my last bold prediction episode was TJ Hawkinson. I said this guy was going to be a top eight tight end as a rookie and buck the trend. 
Looks like he's on a pretty damn good start. Six catches, 131 yards, and a TD. Uh, obviously, you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt when it's coming against Arizona's defense. Teams are going to have field days against that defense, against the Dolphins. Find your streamers against those two, no doubt about it. Non-existent secondaries there. Uh, but Hawkinson was a monster. Contested catches, yard after the uh, at, you know run after the catch opportunities, red zone beast, just everything you wanted to see out of this guy. He was as athletic as advertised, looked good as a blocker in the run game two, uh, weekly tight end one at, from this point on. I already said he was going to be a weekly tight end one, but you got to feel great about it. And the last guy to cover, my last article on him, Jamison Crowder, cited how the New York uh, athletic beat writer called him a potential reception monster or reception beast. 14 catches, kind of confirms those reports right there. 17 targets. I think that's the NFL lead right now. 99 yards, no scores, but still, the, the yards, whatever, it's the, the volume, just insanity. 14 of 17, the clear engine of this passing game. Him and Darnold, it was the only guy that was open all day for him. I love Robbie Anderson. I was so high on him going into the year, but Crowder, a whopping 40 percent, 41.4 percent to be specific target share, uh, the clear-cut offensive highlight of this game, and is definitely the engine of that passing game. Uh, used to, remember, this is that Jarvis Landry-style role. Adam Gase consistently peppered Landry with 14, 15 looks and let him do his damage. The yards per catch are never going to be exciting, uh, but J- Jamison Crowder, as long as he stays healthy, is going to dominate in that Adam Gase slot role. So again, if you have questions, continue coming them in. Uh, we got Stephen Filipiak commenting, and TJ Hawker, Mark Andrews, PPR, both on the wire. OJ Howard's my starting tight end. So you got a great starter, but both of those guys should never be on a waiver wire, Stephen. If I'm picking one or the other, that's a really, really, really tough call because uh, both of them clearly broke out and lived up to expectations, Stephen. I think my gut is leaning TJ Hawkinson, just a clearer role in offense that I think is going to be a little bit pass heavier. Uh, but that's tough because Lamar Jackson was truly dealing. So, uh, man, and Andrew's all the hype this offseason, the most athletic guy in tr- can't training camp, and just the number one focal point in the main vein of the passing game. I don't know. That's tough. I think uh, now now I'm thinking about it, I'd probably go Mark Andrews there, Steven. I love them both, uh, but those were fantastic. Jeremy commenting, should I be nervous about my Browns players? I don't think so, but we're going to cover them soon, Jeremy. So stick around, uh, Bolchak. We're going to cover that. Uh, right now. So let's get to your fallers at this point. Uh, and the first one we're going to lead off with, and it's pissing me off beyond all belief. We touted him as Matt Nagy's three down horse, the next featured back in an explosive offense. Well, neither of those two things happened because he was not featured, and the Bears' offense looked like complete dog shit. David Montgomery, folks, is who we are talking about there, uh, and it was an ugly sight. He's out-snapped by not only Tariq Cohen, who played 50 snaps, only four as a running back, but was kind of confirming his own value, his own role. He's still going to be that guy. But Mike Davis, 40 snaps over David Montgomery's 27. More touches for Mike Davis. Just a hideous overall situation. Now, the positive is David Montgomery significantly outplayed him, looked much better, breaking tackles, a great 27-yard reception, and ideally Matt Nagy saw what he had. I talked about how he wants to get back to the run game more, and hopefully that means establishing David Montgomery, but nothing can be considered a guarantee after, again, Mike fucking Davis gets 40 snaps, 13 more than David David Montgomery, hideous, disgusting, makes you want to throw up if you spend a third rounder on this guy. 
I'm not going to just say all hope is lost on him, but he has to find your bench until this starts to shake out. I do think he has a definite shot at regaining his three-down horse type of upside we raved about all offseason, but you got to have some patience, you got to have some caution, and you got to make sure you have a backup plan until we see that usage start to play out. I do think talent wins here, and that's definitely on David Montgomery's side. Uh, but the other concerning fact is how bad Mitch Trubisky in this offense looked. The reason we really liked him was the 10 to 15 touchdown upside because this offense was a top 10 scoring unit last year. I don't know if that's going to happen if Mitch Trubisky continues to look as shitty as he looked. I think Nagy is the the type of play caller that's going to get this fixed. He's going to study that film, you know, religiously, tirelessly. All his quotes are just how sick he felt and how he's looking at everything he needs to fix. So I think he gets the ship righted, and I could see this as a sneaky buy low opportunity if his owner's freaking out. Maybe toss a feeler in there. But ultimately, I'm not going to overpay and try to get Montgomery on my team because I think you're looking at another three, four, five, six weeks even until this guy truly emerges as the workhorse we were expecting. Uh, Next on the list, not feeling great about this one, Mr. Todd Gurley. Now, you do feel good about the efficiency. You feel good about the fact that he led the team in touches, but you shouldn't even have to make that an issue. He should always be leading the team in touches, and it was only 14 times plus one catch against the Panthers, not nearly as high as his typical 25-30 touch workload days. But the most concerning part, and the reason why I was still so high on Gurley as a second rounder was because the touchdown upside so mammoth with this guy. 40 touchdowns over his last two seasons. One of the best goal line hammers in the game and one of the highest scoring attacks. Gets pulled out at the stripe for Malcolm motherfucking Brown who trots in for two scores, ruining Gurley's fantasy ceiling in those two scores. At the, you know, and, and Gurley comes out of the game, says, yeah, whatever. Uh, felt good splitting the time. Uh, and now it seems like, you know, that workload is definitely going to be in question. But most concerningly, that goal line, that red zone workload is now in question. And that's nothing anybody wants to see when you're talking about fantasy value. It's all about touchdowns and that hurts. That really hurts for Todd Gurley. So ultimately, you know, again, you got to be enthused that he looked just as good as he looked last year as a runner, highly efficient on his 15 touches, averaging 6.9 yards a carry, breaking tackles, ripping it to the outside. But still, Gurley, that goal line usage is what makes him such a fantasy monster. And if he's going to lose those touches, oh, you got to feel a little bit nervous about Malcolm Brown there. Uh, so I'm not feeling great about Todd Gurley's value moving forward. Next, and not, you know, Jeremy Bolchek, you asking about the Browns' offense. Oof. I'm a little bit concerned because that offensive line looked horrendous. Baker Mayfield taking five sacks under duress the entire day. That was the one thing we've mentioned. You know, we've raved about the Browns' offense and how they're just going to explode and light up the league for 40 points a game. Baker Mayfield, 5,000 yards, 40 TDs. Freddie Kitchens and Todd Monk in the air raid offense. The beautiful baby they're going to create. Oh, man. Ugly, ugly, ugly losing effort. Uh, all the hype, you know, crowned them the Kings, did not come into play here. And I think a humongous part of it and a concern I have moving forward is that offensive line, the dress he was under. Baker going 25 of 38, 285 yards and one score and three picks under pressure all day. Not a good performance in the least. You don't need me to spell that one out for you. Just horrendous overall offensive output. I do think the Titans are going to have one of the better defenses in the league under Mike Vrabel. They already were strong last year and added some good talent. 
Uh, but still, it, this is not a pretty sight with that offensive line getting destroyed as they did whenever they faced high-pressure D-lines. It's not going to be pretty. I think they write the ship. I personally would be buying low on all Browns. I'd throw out some feelers for Odell Beckham, for Baker Mayfield, if any of their owners are freaking out, Nick Chubb. But that line is going to be a bigger issue than I think a lot of people gave it gave it consideration for. Uh, and that offense, you have to be a little more concerned with moving forward. Next is the Jets offense. Raved all preseason. The pace, the no huddle, they're pushing the ball. Darnold looking more accurate than he's ever looked. The throws, the command of the offense, everything is gorgeous. It's all great. Oh, God, that looked horrible. Goes 28 of 41 for 175 yards on 41 pass attempts, one touchdown, plenty of turnovers. I get the Bills' defense took a nice step forward this offseason, but that was ugly. All they could manufacture was dink and dunks to Jamison Crowder, nothing going deep, and when they finally had receivers streaking down the field, Darnold overshot him. So everything we thought that was going to change under Adam Gase, you know, he's got a disgusting slow pace offense. He doesn't take shots down the field. It looked like it was going to be repaired this in during this preseason, but now they go back to looking like the Jets, to looking like Adam Gase. Uh, it, it was bad. It was hideous. And I don't know if I feel great about their, their chances of turning that around. I hope Gase gets to more no huddle. Again, around 48% of the, their preseason snaps were no huddle. And then they go, you know, they completely abandon that. They go back to Gase's hideous, slow-paced, low, you know, low risk. It's disgusting overall offense. Didn't like a thing about it. So you got to feel nervous about guys like Robbie Anderson. Three catches on seven targets, 23 yards, significantly outplayed by Jamison Crowder, who is much more the apple of Darnold's eye. You hope they get more aggressive, uh, and, and I think they will, but that's definitely a down stock for guys like Robbie Anderson, for Sam Darnold. No need to own this guy anymore. I raved about him as a potential high upside QB2. You can cut him. There's no point in owning Darnold. This offense is going to look so shitty. Another guy that we were never that high on and showed why this week, Devonta shit-ass Freeman. Eight carries already off to a horrible stat line there. If only eight carries, this guy's going to be the next featured back again of this huge high-powered attack. Nope. Eight carries. Uh, and plays only 27 snaps alongside 25 snaps for Ido Smith. A near-even split is equally hideous. He does nothing on his usage either. 19 yards. Looks sluggish. Looks slow. Looks like he is washed up. Uh, ugh awful, and I don't know if it's going to get any better. Dirk Cutter has been a historically committee-based guy. We talked about in the preseason how maybe he returns to MJD status like, like he was with the Jaguars and really gets a featured guy going. Didn't look like it in this game. Again, 27 snaps for Freeman as compared to 25 for Ido Smith. Almost dead even in that usage department. And that is the exact opposite of what you wanted to see. So I, if anybody's calling trying to buy your Devonta Freeman shares, sell them now. That guy is falling. He's plummeting down the big board. Uh, I want no part of him. I never really wanted a part of him anyways. I was much lower on him. I have no teams. But he confirmed every reason why I want nothing to do with him. And last but not least, time to cut Dante Pettis, folks. Holy shit, this guy was bad. <laughs> and he didn't get a chance to do anything. One catch, seven yards, his only target of the day. Most concerningly, two snaps. Debo Samuel plays 59 for reference point. Two snaps for Dante Pettis. Two snaps for Dante Pettis. 
Oh, that is hideous. So you can't feel good about anything involving him now. Shanahan seemed to have it out for him this entire preseason, saying he's got to earn his role and he playing him deep into games. And we all thought maybe it's motivational. He truly loves Pettis and he's just trying to get him going. We saw huge flashes from Pettis. He averaged over 18 games. I mean, 18 fantasy points per game when he became a full-time starter last year. It's like, all right, maybe Pettis had a clear, uh, a very open depth chart, he could be that true number one of a Kyle Shanahan attack. Not on two fucking snaps could he be. So awful game for Dante Pettis. Cut him, send his ass packing, give him the hate cut. It is awful. Uh, Duck commenting in an explosive fuller snag. So yeah, I can't watch the game right now because I'm doing this. So anything happening, please, for the love of God, comment in so I can live through it. I love to hear that was a touchdown, Duck. Let me know. Uh, what Tunenberg asking, should I be worried about Cleveland defense and Baker Mayfield? Fuck the defense. Get rid of their ass. Again, they're going to get out that many points to the Titans. I want nothing to do with them. Baker, no. I think you hold strong with Baker tunes. Uh, don't sell low on him right now. I think this offense will get it together. The line does make me worried, but I imagine Freddie Kitchens, smart offensive mind, Todd Munkin, even smarter in my opinion. They're going to figure out the way to get this line fixed, to figure out the offense they should run uh, with Baker Mayfield. I would definitely be buying low if I did not own uh, Baker Mayfield. Do not sell your shares right now. Uh, I, I like Baker Mayfield. Who's going to be fine here? D'India. Hey, Wolfie, 3-0 this week, but lost week. Any guys to target and raffle? My wide receiver depth is trash. Well, D'India, that is going to be a perfect transition. Thank you. It's as if I planted you. You have a ton of guys to look for on the waiver wire this week at the wide receiver position and tons of explosive guys at that. So let's get to the waiver wire penny stock guys you got to consider. Now, one that might not be out there, but he is only owned in 32% of leagues is Marquise Brown spearheading this Ravens aerial onslaught and dripping in fantasy upside the rest of the year. We talked about him at the beginning of this set with the Ravens offense, looking at how good Lamar Jackson looked, just dropping dimes into buckets the entire day. If that progression is as real as it looked, and I think it might just be, uh, Marquise Brown is going to be a beast this year. He was getting separation with ease on Sunday. It looked like it was college again for this guy, that blazing 4-3 speed, that fully healthy. We were down on this guy because I thought it was going to be a run-obsessed attack that Lamar Jackson couldn't throw, that the speed was going to go to waste, that he had the Lisfrancic surgeries coming off of. You never want a speedy receiver with foot surgery. Uh, but none of those concerns ended up coming true this day. We were dead wrong on Marquise Brown's fit here. He was blowing through the defense. 147 yards on five targets, four catches, two scores. Only 15 snaps seems a little concerning, but again, that's part of the game flow. This was not a competitive game in any sense of the imagination. 59 to 10, just disgusting blowout. So he didn't need to be on the field. Why are you going to have him in the run block at 160 pounds? And that's the other concern with him is how tiny he is. If he gets hit hard, he's going to be on the sideline pretty quickly because he is just, it looks like he belongs on a Pop Warner field, but that speed is so real. You didn't know if it was going to translate against NFL backs and NFL corners, but nobody could run with this guy. 
And yes, the defenders will be more ready moving forward in the season. They're going to now give, you'd imagine at least, Lamar Jackson some more respect. But then Lamar Jackson is going to destroy him on the ground. They're going to pound it with Ingram and then open up those deep shots again. So I loved how aggressive this offense was. I loved the deep shots. I loved how accurate Lamar Jackson was on those throws. And Marquise Brown is going to be a huge benefactor of all that. Uh, Gets the Cardinals next week. And we saw what Matt Stafford, 385 yards, did to those guys. You gotta love Marquise Brown, Lamar Jackson next week. I think that hookup is going to be monstrous yet again. So I would say first, D&D, let me know, is Marquise Brown out there? That would be the number one guy I'd look at, and I'd be willing to blow quite a bit of fab. A guy that's not going to help you, but the next guy on our menu that we have to talk about, uh, my second highest, and this is venues in order of the priority I would give these guys, Malcolm Brown, 13% owned for the Rams, uh, 11 carries to Gurley's 15, so almost perfectly even split there, racks up a solid 53 yards on those, over well over four and a half yards per clip, but most importantly, looks like he might just be the goal line rusher there. Now, granted, Gurley has been one of the best goal line monsters throughout his career, an unbelievable hammer at the stripe. It could tilt at any point back into his favor, especially if he goes behind the scenes, starts complaining, hey, I want some touchdowns. Gurley doesn't seem like that guy, though. He seemed perfectly content with what happened on Sunday, and that was Malcolm Brown coming in and vulturing to all sweet, sweet hell. Holy shit. You got to be concerned about Gurley. We already covered that, but his score is one yard out, five yards out, and just it looked too easy for this guy, just like it's always looked like for Todd Gurley at the stripe. So if Malcolm Brown is truly going to get that goal line volume, that red zone usage, he's going to come with 10 plus touchdown upside. He already has two. Uh, Nobody should be shocked if Malcolm Brown stumbles in for 12 scores. This offense has averaged over 30 points a game for two straight seasons. McVay's offense did not look like it was about to slow down. And that was on the road with shitty Jared Goff. Road Goff looking just as bad as he's ever looked. I think Malcolm Brown could truly blow up for 12 to 15 scores if he maintains that role. Now, you could go blow all your fab budget, and then he could end up just losing all those carries to Gurley next week, and it's all for naught. But I think it's well worth the risk, especially with that upside. He's looking like the clear-cut handcuff to Gurley, that arthritic knee. It's not Daryl Henderson, who's definitely on the fallers list here. Uh, I should have had Jameis Winston. I don't know why he wasn't on the fallers list. Cut that motherfucking ass. Just random thought. I just hate him. I want to spit in his face. Uh, But Malcolm Malcolm Brown, the handcuff for Todd Gurley, not Daryl Henderson, uh, and, and the goal line monster of the highest power attack, well, well, well worth a healthy portion of your fab budget. D'India, another wide receiver you can absolutely consider this week, though, is Terry McLaurin. Huge speedster, 4-3-5 speed, coming out of Ohio State. Great yards after the catch guy as well at Ohio State. And he goes and catches five of seven targets for 125 yards and a TD. The Eagle secondary has always been one of these worst the, the last few years, and they've done nothing to fix it, so that's a burnable secondary. But he was just all over the place, the speedster. Nobody could stay with him, uh, and it was fully on display on his scores. He was good, at again, in the short game as well, just knifing through the defense. And who else do they have to throw to? We know the Redskins are going to blow, so the game scripts are going to very much favor McLaurin. Case Keenum was very willing to take his shots down the field, but he also sucks. And if he gets benched, 
You get Dwayne Haskins, who lit it up with Terry McLaurin last year. They already have that bond, that chemistry. Uh, Josh Doxson gets released from the, the Redskins in the preseason, and a huge part of that must have been McLaurin. We raved about him and all the camp performances we were reading about, and he has nobody he's really competing with for targets, uh, nobody that matches his athleticism. So 5% owned Terry McLaurin, a guy that's out there in nearly every single league and shouldn't be. He should 100% be owned uh, after this week. So that's another guy you have to make sure you look at. Another guy as well. Uh, I'm missing one on this menu. I completely forgot John Ross. So, you know, it says DK Metcalf on the menu, but let me tell you about John Ross real quick. 11% owned, 12 targets. A whopping 12 targets, 158 yards, and two scores. Unlike some of these other blowups, this guy was actually a target hog on the day. Now, the game script was 100% playing from behind, and we need to throw it, but when are they going to be up? The Bengals are god-awful, so I don't see that being a, you know, a rare game script. And coming off of career highs, three catches and 52 yards, this was by far the best game of his career. Uh, just deep game, short game. Zach Taylor's offense. There's reports that you know John Ross was thriving and looking like a move around threat, and his deep speed was going to be maximized. Those reports all came true. So John Ross, my next on the list of guys to target on the waiver wire. That huge deep speed, well worth a waiver wire look this week. Um, but DK Metcalf, the next one I want to look at. Uh, yeah, hell yeah, Austin on um, Marquise Brown. That looked unbelievable. He's not, this is a 14-team league shit show. So, I mean, McLaurin's probably there, right? Maybe John Ross is there. Uh, DK Metcalf's probably not there, 38% owned, but still under half league. So I wanted to make sure to mention him. Looked very, very concerted effort by the Seahawks to get this guy going. And he was bodying defenders, uh, you know, throwing up law balls from Russell Wilson, going up over them. Ends up hauling in four of his six targets for 89 yards. A nice little rapport there. Not nearly the monster stats that we've talked about for some of these other guys, but this is overall the guy I'd probably rather own in a better offense with a better quarterback and a perfectly fitting skill set for what they want to do, which is play action, play action, play action, and then take the top off the defense and bomb it. He's going to body people for touchdowns. Uh, oh, thank you, Duck. 21-yard touchdown for Deshaun Watson. Who do you throw it to? Let me know. Uh, next on the list, though, for waiver wires, if you don't need wide receivers, a guy that's probably out there in your league and could be hugely valuable is Chris Thompson. We just talked about how the Viking, I mean, the Redskins are going to completely blow this year, and that's why McLaurin's such an intriguing option. That also means Chris Thompson should be very, very much firmly on your radar. He's their pass catching back. He's been a monster in fantasy seasons past. Was actually 12th in fantasy points per game just a couple seasons ago, uh, and he's clearly locked into that role. Looked fully healthy. All the offseason reports were Thompson's looked as explosive as ever. You know, he's going to be a passing game focal point. He all's in. 7 of 10 targets, so clearly one of the premier options there with Case Keenum dinking and dunking down the field. 68 yards there. Nothing you know humongous, but that is obviously a PPR asset uh, with this game script kind of constantly be in Thompson's favor. Also working for Thompson is Darius Geis. Who knows when he's going to be back? Apparently something going on with his meniscus. Four to five weeks at least. Dr. Duck called that one. Uh, and, and now with him removed, yeah, Adrian Peterson will absorb the vast majority of those Geist-style touches. 
But you got to imagine Thompson's role gains a little bit more with Geis out of the lineup. Uh, so everything about him, if you're looking for a running back, uh, Thompson's got to be towards the top of your list after Malcolm Brown. And if you're in PPR leagues, you could even justify Thompson uh, above him. If you're not looking at any of those guys, though, if you need another wide receiver, I'm going to toss out some other names for you that could be out and available. One of them being Danny Amendola, as you see on this list, only 6% owned. He ends up going uh, for a crazy 13 targets, uh, catches seven of them for 104 yards and a TD. Granted, this was the game flow against the air raid offense, against a pathetic pass defense, and you can't go, again, like, just like the Ravens going against the Dolphins, this awful defense. You don't want to overreact to somebody lighting up this pathetic Cardinals D. Even still, though, I mean, this was by far the highest target there. Lots of reports this offseason from guys like Yahoo's Therese Paler saying that he's going to be the quote, quote, safety blanket for Matthew Stafford. And he was the clear-cut binky here, was all over the place underneath. Great after the catch. Uh, we heard, you know, a nice rapport from Tim Twenniman early in the offseason. Just like they say it, uh, said about TJ Hawkinson, these two new weapons were definitely favored by Stafford in this one. Uh, and, and Amendola... Yeah, the, the ceiling feels capped, but again, that slot weapon, in, you know, Patricia comes from the Patriots offense. He knows who Amendola is. He's seen him used properly. I know he's on the offensive play caller here, but Amendola was definitely the number one target here. I, I get Galladay's probably going to be that guy most weeks. He still has to contend with Marvin Jones, and Stafford's not going to throw for 385, and Bevel's run-heavy attack every week, but ultimately... You still, if you're desperate at wide receiver, you got to chase some volume there. And 13 targets, 104 yards, and a score is plenty of it. So beyond him, though, I know that's the last of the menu guys on there. But some other ones you want to look at, you said 14 teams, D-India. So if you're completely, completely desperate and none of those guys were out there, well, look at the Jaguars. I mean, Chris Conley, seven targets, six catches, 97 yards, and a TD. He had that hashtag revenge game narrative against his former team, the Chiefs, but that was definitely a career high for this guy. Uh, but even more impressive might have been DJ Chark, who was raved about this entire offseason as making explosive plays throughout camp. 404 targets, 146 yards, and a TD. Uh, it, it was, you know, 83 uh, 69 yard touchdown. Um, it, you know, unbelievable teardrop from Nick Foles for 35 yards into his bread basket before Foles goes out. But you got to be encouraged by how Gardner Minshew looked. Completed a ridiculous 88% of his throws, and these two were his you know preferred targets. Perhaps it's that second team chemistry we saw there. Uh, we we always rave about maybe DJ Chark, an intriguing guy. Both those guys, two percent owned for Chark, one percent owned for Conley. So there's a very very good chance they're out there for you, India if you need somebody. Uh, and last but not least on the waiver wire, if you're QB desperate, uh, maybe you just want to hate cut Jameis Winston. I certainly will be this week. Andy Dalton, 51 attempts. Good God. But Zach Taylor, hailing from that Rams offense, very pass-heavy, very... Uh, and when they're going to get down as often as the Bengals are with that pathetic defense, I could see him chucking 40 to 50 pass attempts most weeks. Goes 418 yards and two scores. And this is without A.J. Green in the lineup with a pretty weak weapons cabinet. These guys were getting open. Zach Taylor's offense definitely looked like it was going to take uh, translate well in year one. Didn't have any real rust or growing pains like we saw with LaFleur and some of these other pathetic new play callers. This offense was humming right from the start. And so if you're desperate for a quarterback... 
or you need some insurance, a nice backup guy. Dalton really looked like he was uh, was striving in this offense. You saw obviously some Dalton-esque awful throws, sailing some passes, you know, some interception potential to the, the other team. But ultimately, Dalton looked as good as he's ever looked. This offense looked far better than anything Marvin Lewis has ever schemed up in his time there. Uh, so you got to be a little bit more encouraged at minimum by Andy Dalton. And only 10% owned should be out there in your league for the taking if you're desperate at QB. Last but not least, and the unfortunate part of what we have to cover every week is the injuries. And we got a few that we got to make sure to get through here. None bigger than Tyreek Hill. Uh, broken clavicle. Doesn't need surgery, so nothing too, too insane. Uh, expected to miss a, quote, few weeks, according to Ian Rappaport. But he did have to get hospitalized after the game. Uh, it was reportedly an orthopedic issue, so nothing too, too crazy there. Um, but let's say, you know, three, four-week absence, that hurts. And you got to have these backup plans as D'India himself is scrambling for, as he said on this show. Uh, so again, some of those names we just talked about. You could also look and on the, the waiver wire in almost every league. McCole Hardman, only 15% owned, gets the Raiders next week. Kind of a, a nice little immediate fill-in. He didn't have a single catch last week, but he played every single snap once Tyree Kill was removed. And now that they know Tyree Kill's out, you got to imagine they scheme a bit more volume for their rookie who is making touchdown play after touchdown play this preseason. So he's another guy on the waiver wire, McCole Hardman, that you can look for uh, in Tyreek Hill's absence, uh, however long that's going to last. Again, a few weeks, a little unclear, but three to four is what I'm expecting based on that report. Other than him, we got Joe Mixon complete bag of shit. I'll tell you that. Just ruined my Sunday. Uh, Awful performance while he was healthy, but just gets injured too. Ankle injury, uh, low-grade ankle sprain is the early prognosis. So that means you could expect him back pretty quickly. They're saying he's day-to-day, so could be back as early as this week, but obviously something to monitor. Gio Bernard was the only back in once Joe Mixon sat. So of course, on the waiver wire, if he's there, scoop him up, especially if you own Mixon, you need that handcuff. Hopefully you owned him anyways. I wasn't smart enough to do that because somebody took Gio quite early in my drafts. Uh, so I'm, now I'm screwed scrambling if this guy's out but day-to-day sounds like he should be playing this week and you gotta hope he gets back on track you gotta be encouraged by Andy Dalton chucking for 418 yards this offense looking as good as it did should ideally open some holes up for Mixon but that line looked atrocious the zone blocking was not in place this week a good D line from Seattle so uh, let's see him get it going against another team at an easier matchup next week uh, but Mixon, definitely a guy you got to track and monitor. And you got to make sure Gio Bernard is 100% owned if you own Mixon. And really just anybody, a great starter anytime Mixon has been out of the lineup. Also to track is Darius Geis going to miss a few weeks. Uh, according to Jeremy Fowler, he's dealing with a meniscus injury. He went under an MRI on Monday and is going to miss about five, six weeks potentially. Um, similar to... Our, our injury above with Tyree Kilt, they're labeling it a few weeks, so maybe only four or so, uh, but definitely didn't look healthy. 10 carries, 18 yards, nothing explosive about any of that. And now with him out, Adrian Peterson, many people might have cut him after he was inactive. At least you know you're going to get 15 carries with this guy who looked healthy in the preseason, looked great last year, I think sixth in the league in rushing. So Adrian Peterson, if you're desperate at running back and need a quick fill-in for a guy like Mixon, could be a potential option on waiver wires if he was dropped. And Geis, do you cut him? 
I guess you could stash and maybe you have an IR spot. I don't see a ton of upside to holding this guy, though. Just can't stay healthy, overcompensating uh, for the, the injury before. Uh, definitely big risk of re-injury the way this is going. So huge injury risk. You got to be nervous about him. Tevin Coleman, we only got two more to cover. And again, any questions? I know the Monday night game's going, so I imagine all your attention is mostly there. But if you have any questions, feel free to send them into the mailbag. But Tevin Coleman, high ankle sprain, uh, unlike... Uh, Joe Mixon. This one is a brutal one. High ankle sprains can linger quite some time, uh, and he's supposed to miss a significant amount of time. Not enough to go on the IR, so it will hopefully be less than eight weeks, but we're looking at at least five, six weeks for Tevin Coleman, who didn't look great anyways while he was in there. Uh, So missing multiple weeks, what do you do? Well, Matt Breida obviously gets a solid bump up, was the starter anyways, the highest volume guy anyways. But ultimately, without Coleman there, the touchdown upside's much higher, the usage upside's much higher, but also Raheem Mostert, 1% owned, another running back. So we talked about a lot of waiver wire guys. Mostert, another one you need to add to your list. McCole Hardman, another one you got to add to your list in wake of these absences. Obviously, Gio Bernard, another one to make sure is on your list, would rank right up there with the top waiver wire pickups as these guys miss time. Mostert comes in, gets 40 yards on nine carries, catches his only target, didn't get much on it, uh, but Mostert could be that big back style guy, maybe takes the goal line role from Brita. Definitely any running back within that Kyle Shanahan zone blocking scheme is well worth looking at. We've seen, you know, again, Orlandis, Gary, Mike Anderson, these nobodies, Steve Slayton go for 1,400, 1,500 yards in it. So Mostert, if anything happens to Brita, who we've seen routinely just die on the NFL field before miraculously returning. We know he has a long injury history, so it could be an unquestioned Mostert role for at least a few weeks if Breida's ugly injury history rears its head. Uh, And after him, we got to talk about Mr. Big Dick Nick Foles himself. Maybe he has a humongous penis, but that clavicle not looking great at this point. He's, he's broken left collarbone, going to miss at least eight weeks because he's been put on IR. Uh, so that obviously hurts guys like D.D. Westbrook, like the guys we raved about, Chris Conley, DJ Chark, get hurt by this move. But are they hurt that bad? Because Garrett Minshew, sixth round rookie, the original, you know, an air raid operator out of Washington State, Falls completely in the draft, completes 22 of 25 passes, 88% of his throws, and getting called upon uh, unexpectedly. A six-round rookie comes in and completes 88% of his throws, goes 275 yards and two touchdowns. Yes, the Chiefs' defense is pathetic. I get that, and we want to keep making sure we target defend uh, anybody facing them. But Gardner Menchie, you have to be encouraged if you're a Jaguar fan or if you're an owner of any of these weapons like D.D. Westbrook or if you pick up Conley. Minshew looked pretty damn good. Now, now that there's some film on him, maybe people figure him out, but the poise he showed, the accuracy, just looked like he was ready for a huge moment to be called upon like that out of nowhere. Uh, did not look like he was, you know, at all shell-shocked that, that people might expect out of a six-rounder like that. So uh, at least you got somebody that's serviceable. You got to give a slight downgrade to some of those other weapons because Foles was hopefully going to be a breakout type of quarterback with these the Jaguars and those guys. But, I mean, Garrett Gardner Menchu at least softens the blow a little bit. And last but not least on the injury train is Sterling Shepard, who's currently in 
concussion protocol. Who knows if he'll get out and be cleared, but something you need to monitor as they get ready for Buffalo. A defense that, you know, slot receivers, how Jamison Crowder light them up. Shepard was in line for that slot role. Now, who knows? We already know Evan Ingram, 14 targets, 11 catches. He's got even more secure volume moving forward for this week. Uh, Cody Latimer kind of lit it up a little bit, 78 yards, eight targets last week. So maybe he gets a little bit of a bump. I don't think I'm using Cody Latimer unless I'm just the most desperate human of all time. But Evan Ingram, that volume will stay secure. We know Golden Tate's still suspended. So it just should be another shitty-ass week of Eli Manning. Buffalo's defense becomes even more intriguing as a streaming option with Sterling Shepard removed, uh, and you just expect another dominant effort from Sterling Shepard in this one. Alrighty, guys, uh, that looks like all the questions we have. That's everything I have on my list. There's going to be even more, though. This was kind of the highlights of the week, but there's so many more. We had over 25 risers, over 20 fallers, 15 penny stocks and waiver wire guys. And that's going to all be found on the Roto Street Journal stock watch. So you can go to rotostreetjournal.com slash stock watch or even better and huge news for us as a website. And I'm so pumped to announce that we actually now have an app. If you search Roto Street Journal on your a- Apple iTunes, whatever you, you download your apps on, you can find us. It's got the stock watch. It's got our rankings. It's got our videos. We're going to make sure to get a, an ask a question feature in there. Uh, but we are there to be in your pocket at all times so tune in for that uh, you can follow me you can find me personally at roto street wolf roto street is our page ffbdpod.com for our podcast the fantasy fullback dive repave your path the 2019 titles this was the monday market report every monday at 7 p.m live on facebook if you want the live or if you're here in the audio it's going to always be on tuesdays for the podcast as well we hope you enjoyed we appreciate you tuning in we appreciate the interaction we got i know it's in the middle of monday night football so not as much as i'd hope for uh but Hopefully next week we got a little bit more action when the games aren't on at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Alrighty, folks, I am out. Best of luck in week two. Catch me live on Tuesday at 5 p.m. for my rankings rundown again on Facebook. Another good show coming for you. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd And take our final bow Oh, it's our time to go But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.